Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Everybody and welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. We're here to talk about round 35 of Serie A and what a round it was. There were big games at the top, not all that much changed, but there were a couple of twists at the bottom as there have been seemingly every week. To talk through all of the weekend's action, I've got Ewan Burns here with me. Ewan, how are you? I'm good. Well, I've enjoyed my weekend of football and I went for a nice walk today. I went to the beach which is a rare thing, like around the sand dunes and all that sort of thing. It only rained a little bit as well, so that was good. So I've had a nice weekend. It's more information than I asked for, to be honest, but okay, <laughs> good. I'm, I'm glad you're you're having a good time. I'm a little bit bitter because, unfortunately, the way public holidays in Italy work is that because May 1st has fallen on a Sunday, we do not get that holiday, so next week is just a normal week um not that it makes that much difference when you work in football anyway let's be honest you're working tomorrow i'm working tomorrow i was working today so anyway we've also got vito doria here to talk through the weekend's football with us and i'm imagining we've got a very happy vito doria vito welcome along thank you connor and yes um uh, especially after the latest results on the weekend yeah there's uh, plenty for me to be excited about so I've just you you danced your way through those <laughs> twenty or so seconds in which you were speaking. I've never seen you dance before. Oh well, uh, very special circumstances, you know. Um, <laughs> a derby win, and it's you know not only that; it's also got consequences for the opposition as well. So it was uh, really a really was a win-win kind of situation, beneficial for us, uh, detrimental for the opposition. So lots of like there. Yeah, we'll see about the how it impacts on the opposition veto, but don't be so confident. You've been here before. Um, nine of the ten games have been played, as as it seems to be every time we speak. There's always a Monday night game recently. Atalanta Salernitana are being are playing on Monday evening, so we won't be talking about that. What we will be talking about, though, are the nine games that have been played, and it kicked off on Saturday with Verona beating Cagliari two one, which really made the the derby della Lanterna. All the more interesting, but at the same time as that Cagliari game, Napoli put six past Sassuolo, four in about 20 first half minutes, which was an incredible start to the game. It finished 6-1, Maxime Lopez scoring probably the least important goal of his career at the end of that one. Samp beat Genoa 1-0 in that derby to to worsen Genoa's woes, really, and to... I'm not going to say keep Samp up, but go a long, long way to keeping Samp up. And then Lazio beat Spezia 4-3 with a late, late goal from Francesco Acerbi at the end of that one, which tickled me a little bit, to be honest. On Sunday, Juventus beat Venezia 2-1 in Turin. Milan got a huge late 1-0 win over Fiorentina to ensure they ended the weekend still on the top of the table. Torino beat Empoli 3-1. Andrea Velotti getting a hat-trick. Inter beat Udinese and just 2-1 in Udine. And Roma-Bologna played out a scoreless draw. Like I said, those that round will be finished on Monday night with Atalanta hosting Salernitana. And there's also a Thursday night game, which is a make-up match from round 20. Salernitana hosting Venezia in a big one. So why Salernitana are playing in Bergamo on a Monday night when they're playing in Campania on a Thursday... Only Legacy I can tell us. I can't work it out, but it is what it is. They are what they are. And just a reminder before we get into this that you can head to patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football to, to support the podcast from as little as two euro a month. There is also five and ten euro tiers available to get extra bonus content over there too. But on with the weekend's football. Now, when there's a Derby della Lanterna, 
we start with it. Those are the rules. And I know usually we like to start at the top, but considering nothing at the top actually changed this week, we've got to go to Liguria, where my favorite derby in Italian football, you and I were saying this to you in the preview pod, took place. It wasn't the best of games, but Vito, you don't really care because Samp won 1 0 and Genoa are in, in deep trouble. Oh, well, that's true. And. Uh... You know, when it comes to this game, you generally don't watch this to see champagne football to talk about the technical quality because the technical quality has often been lacking in these games and especially because these two clubs have not been that competitive for the last 30 years. But you'll get passion, you'll get adrenaline, you get a tense atmosphere and... Um, it would have been great if Kev was here to talk about it because he was actually at the game, so he would have absorbed the atmosphere on his Instagram. He was with both sets of supporters, so he could, you know, so- soak up that atmosphere and see what it was like off the pitch. And uh, as for the football itself, yeah, there were some dramatic moments and uh, some Thoria came out on top and then... At the end, Genoa could have equalised, but uh, it wasn't to be for them because uh, the often reliable Domenico Crescito had his penalty saved by Emil Aldero. Mm, he did. Now, you, you mentioned Kev, you mentioned the atmosphere, you mentioned some of the moments on the pitch, Vito. It, it's only right that I give you the right of reply because I was quite surprised to see midway through the second half that I'd a few WhatsApp messages from Kev. And normally when he's at the football, he's at the football, you know? So I thought, we're both watching the same match. Maybe he's asking me, did I see something that he has misunderstood or misinterpreted or whatever? But no, it was a series of voice notes, which again, shocked me because I don't think I've ever received a voice note from Kev. Two of them, one of them was a second long and it was clearly a man of an age failing to understand technology. The the second one was two seconds long and it was clearly just a man of a certain age failing to understand technology for twice as long. And then I got one for 19 seconds and I thought, well, surely, surely this is the one. And it was. And I played it for you off air, but Kev was, was less than impressed by what he was seeing on the football pitch. And he, he directed his anger at your lot Vito, which did catch me off guard, considering he was among them as well. But he said that Sampdoria's fans are celebrating being 17th because their rival is 18th. And then he used the word embarrassing. And I I don't want to respond. I didn't respond. I just told them, at least you're having a nice time. But you can respond now. <laughs> well, it does sound very Roy Keane-esque of Kev to actually say that. Reminds me of uh, Euro 2012 when the Republic of Ireland had some very disappointing results and uh, Roy King criticised the Irish fans for still seeing don't, despite those results. Don't don't upset me. I'm just the messenger here. <laughs> no, but let me finish. Um, the thing is that it didn't matter what the result was. They were just happy to be there because Ireland don't know if they qualify, and they showed that despite what happens on the pitch, they will always be loyal to their country, and that they will still be grateful that their country's at a national tournament. So it, they're not just going to be determined by the results about how they should act. And, uh, and that's what that reminded me about. Here it's different. We were winning the game, so... No, you should be happy that you're winning the game. Um, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with that. But if you look at it just on league positioning, well, we're above them. We're above Genoa. And uh, that's something to be happy about. That You know, both clubs, you would think, should be high in the table because of the, you know, reputation and uh, the kind of fan bases they are, they have. So... They should be doing better than avoiding the battle. But uh, well, I see it, um, we were the ones that were winning. But another thing too is Sampdoria fans, even despite the terrible results this season, the hardcore fans are still loyal to the team, to the colours, and they're still going to be celebrating no matter what, no matter 
how bad things are because there have been scenarios where some have been losing or scores have been level, but they're still making a lot of noise. Even in away games, they're still singing away, still chanting. So uh, the mood of the, you know, the Sampdori Ultras, uh, that's not going to change uh, because of results, performance or circumstances. Um, the most uh, hardcore Sampdoria fans, they're going to be happy chanting for their team, supporting their team, no matter what. I'm anti-Kev on this as well, because I think I think he's... I mean, <laughs> what, what he's saying isn't in theory wrong, but I think he's, he's looking at it in the big picture sense, isn't he? I think... I think it's. I think you have to be as a football fan, especially if you're in a stadium. You've got to be quite relative with where you put your happiness and your anger, anger sort of thing. So right now, some situation is that they need to celebrate the fact that they're in 17th and their team they hate most is in the relegation zone because that is the mm. situation right now. At the end of the season, you can look at it in the view that you care. I mean, you know, we're, we're saying all this. Kev may not put too much thought into that voice now, but at the end of the season, you can look at it in the way that. <laughs> it didn't sound like it based on how his voice was, you know, let's be honest. Go, right, this isn't the way it's meant to be. We shouldn't be down in 17th being happy that Genoa are in 19th, whatever. But I don't think you'd begrudge any fan, do, fan who is in that stand at 1-0 up at that exact moment for being extremely happy about that as if it's the best thing in the world. I completely agree. Look, I everybody knows I support Atalanta and... Atalanta's rivals are Brescia. It's not a rivalry at the moment, and it's not been a rivalry for for quite a few years now. One of the papers in in Brescia even took out an ad to say we need to stop thinking about them because they're in a different league, and not just Serie A to Serie B, but they're almost playing a different sport. Um, but recently, Brescia going for a promotion to Serie A were celebrating having scored quite a late what seemed to be winner against Spal. They scored in, I think it was the 83rd minute. And then an Atalanta boy on loan at Spal leveled in the 94th. Best believe I laughed when I saw that happen. You know, I, I, it, it, it was amazing. And Atalanta were in the, a European quarterfinal this season, but I'm still enjoying Brescia's struggles. You best believe it. So everyone is against Kev. We do have an update for him because I felt it was right to let him know that he had gotten under both of your skins. <laughs> and his his response is, I'm good at I'm missing the pod. Relegate them both. <laughs> so there's <laughs> a He wants his both gone. But it doesn't look like Samp are going to be going to Serie B next season because they are now on 33 points, eight clear of Salernitana on 25. And they now have Spezia and Cagliari between themselves and the drop zone as well. And I guess we've got to talk about the goal because, well, I mean, for for several reasons. The goal scorer surprised me. I was expecting Chicho Caputo to be the man to do it, but it was Sabiri who got it instead. And the the cross from Tommaso Algello. Now, Vito, we know what you think, so I'll go to you in first, and then we can come in for your Algello for the Azzurri train that we're all on board of anyway but you and the, the goal was was a nice bit of work in an otherwise low quality game yeah it was if you if you sort of pause the game just as Argelo plays the cross if you look at where Severi is in the box and then where the defenders are it's simultaneously good movement from him and also really bad defending in terms of the distance to where the ball ends up he should not be the one who gets on the end of that cross um but he just you know, it's, it's a cliche, and we can talk about Roy Keane again if you want, but he genuinely looked like he just wanted it more. He genuinely <laughs> seemed to want to get on the end of that ball more than the general defenders did. They just seemed a bit... The, the, the cross must have must have caught them out. They they can't have been expecting a cross with that much pace, and Sabiri seemed to be the only one who was alive to it, and he prodded it in quite nicely. Hmm. Yeah, he did. Uh, Vito, I don't, need to, I don't need to introduce this. Go on. Nah. Oh look, it was a, it was a lovely goal all round. Interestingly enough, uh, Algelo had lost the ball in the left midfield position just before, but fortunately Sabiri was only about a meter away, so he was able to win the ball back. And then 
then on in, that's where the fireworks began. Algelo still kept going forward. Sabiri cleverly switched the ball to the right flank where Kadreva was. And Kandreva, with one of his crosses, 99 times out of 100, that would be like a missed cross and nothing <laughs> would come of it. But fortunately, Algelo maintained his run to the far post and then that ball was absolutely superb. And the Sabiri to keep running like he did and get into position was a true case of being at the right place at the right time to just divert the ball in the net. Absolutely right. They did have a chance in stoppage time and so deep into stoppage time, Ewan, when Mimo Crisito had a chance to level from the spot. And I think Vito said it in the lead-in, but he's usually so reliable from 12 yards. And I don't think anybody expected him to miss. But I thought his his reaction to the miss was quite remarkable. But just a heartbreaking moment for Genoa. And I'm sure Vito jumped through his ceiling when he saw it happen. But is that the type of thing that you see them being able to bounce back from when you saw how how badly affected Crisito was by yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, whether they can as a collective is one question. But he did not look like someone who could bounce back from that. And you know, I fully don't expect... Vito to view it this way because no Sam fan should, but like it, it felt like a shame that it was him of all people to miss that penalty. The look on his face afterwards was very much one of like he's clearly playing the scenario in his head of you know we're going to go down and this is going to be like it's going to be me who did this something <laughs> it's going to be me who mm. had this most headline moment out of the entire season, um, and I think that's that's a very hard thing to pick yourselves up from. But you know they're. They're not gone. You know, they, they, this game may well have been decisive in terms of Sam staying up, but it's it's not decisive for for Genoa, I wouldn't say. Um, and they they have to view it that way. That I think never as a team had to forget a game of football or a moment as quickly as possible as right now. No, I'm still very much on the Genoa staying up bandwagon. Um, they're on 25 points. They've played two games more than Salernitana and Salernitana are on the same number of points and just above them in the table at the moment. Cagliari are on thir- 28 and then Spezia are on 33. So it's realistically, you would say it's two of Cagliari, Salernitana or Genoa who, who are going to go down. And I know Salernitana have hit form and Salernitana will go and beat Atalanta in Bergamo on Monday night now and I just don't see Genoa going down. I do not see it. And I don't know how, because Salernitana play Venezia, which is three points in, in the week. But I don't see Genoa going down. They'll find a way. They always find a way. And I don't think this season's going to be any different. But let's get away from the bottom, shall we? And move all the way up to the very top, because Milan are still there. They beat Fiorentina 1-0 through a late Rafael Liao goal on Sunday afternoon and you and it's hard to argue against them being worthy for their win and their place at the top of the table at this stage of the season. Yeah, definitely. There was, even though it was a relatively late goal, you know, it's not like they weren't creating. It was a goal that was coming. Um, and I think, I think it was you actually, you said on Twitter that he, he's a player who deserves that. Um, you know, it's, it's not a, a shock scorer. He's someone who deserves to be involved in the key moments of this title race if they do go and win it, and it should be remembered as such. My kind of takeaway from when the goal went in was that I just thought that the ground looked fantastic when, when the goal went. Obviously, it always does, but it looked yeah. really, really good. It felt like a proper big, big day that people remember for a very long time, even if they don't end up winning the title. But, you know, just the day in isolation would have been fantastic. Um, and... You know they they look. I'm start. I'm starting to feel more confident in them when you watch them than when you watch it into. Obviously, we'll talk about. But yeah. also the caveat being every single week we keep changing our mind constantly. I keep changing my mind. But right now they look just. There's, there feels like more of an inevitability about them winning games of football than it than you get with Inter now. I take it. I did think the same thing about how the San Siro looked aesthetically because it seemed like everyone turned up in their shirts or or something red and black over on, on Sunday afternoon, which was great to see under that blue Milanese sky as well. But Milan now just needs seven points to to win the title. Yeah, am I correct in saying that? 
seven points from the last yeah seven points from the last three games does it so they can afford to to drop those points and still get over the line i would be concerned about the trip to verona and they play atalanta and atalanta will probably be pretty motivated for that game given how milan kind of ruined their charge to second place last season by by winning in bergamo so the Sassuolo thing, I don't see Sassuolo getting a result now after what happened against Napoli. I think they're done. <laughs> Sassuolo have signed off for the season. But Vito Ewan was talking about how Milan look impressive and just unfazed by things. And you almost expect them to pick up wins in every game they play. Would you go along with that sentiment? Look, you wouldn't say that they play, you know, amazing football, stylish football, but they're very professional. And uh, at this stage of the season, that regardless if you're playing well or not, you just need to be able to get results. And in this case, that's what Milan have been doing. Uh, they're able to, you know, be solid at the back. And if they need a goal or two, they're able to do it. And when you have... Uh, when you have someone like Leal who has a bit of speed and a bit of an X factor, he can make a difference. And then up front, you know, we've seen in recent weeks, you know, Giroud usually has shown in big games and Ibron, when he's fit, he can still make an impact. So even though I thought the performances were better in the first half of the season, or at least uh, the collective play was better, at least... Um, at this moment, they've shown that they've got cool enough heads that even if things don't go their way or they're, they're not putting their chances away, they know that eventually the ball will fall into the back of the net and they'll go on to win games. And uh, they are in a pretty good position to win their first title in 11 seasons. The defensive solidity is what's getting them this Scudetto, I think. I think they're in a position now where for the first time, I'm really not seeing Inter pull it back. Uh, I I think Milan will, will do it for, for both reasons of being a little bit more convinced with them and not being at all convinced by Inter in the last week. But you just don't know yet. But you and that defensive solidity has been so key to them. And we saw it again today. I mean, Mike Mignon made an excellent stop. But in front of him, he had Pierre Kalulu and Fikayo Tomori, who were both just not perfect, but not too far off. Of. Yeah, all, almost every week. I think particularly, I felt like Tomori sort of surged to the level he's at now relatively early this season. Um, and it's kind of maintained that. I know he had a couple of suspect moments in the last sort of couple of weeks that people have talked about, but yeah. it's not been anything horrendous. Um and then Kalulu, I think, just seems to be a better player every single time he takes the field. And that's such a valuable thing at this stage brilliant. of the season if you've got someone who's just getting better and better. And so those two are brilliant enough as it is, but it must do so much for them having that goalkeeper behind them where you've you've just got this almost like another back, back line almost behind where you can just rely on him to, number one, even though we kind of talked at the start of the season about the idea of him being a bit mad and a bit of fun, I think that's kind of gone away a bit. He's actually just a completely, completely yeah. reliable and yeah. extremely good goalkeeper that you never have any fear is going to drop a clanger. And, you know, that's that's something that, you know, we don't talk about it a lot, but that's something Inter don't have with any keeper at the club, you could say. Um, <laughs> too soon. Well, you know, we're talking about Andanovic now and stuff. Even though he's been good in recent weeks, you know, <laughs> there is always that feeling and it must be in the defenders' minds as much as you want to trust yeah. the keeper. But, you know, Tamori and Kalulu can't ever be thinking that when a, when a cross goes in or someone's through on goal or whatever. They must be thinking, oh yeah, but he might save it. And it, it, that has to be making them play better overall. Yeah, because you've one less yeah. thing to worry about, right? And you're less likely to make a mistake if you're not worried about what your mate's doing behind you or around you. Um it's quite remarkable to think that the the things he was doing earlier this season were this season. <laughs> it seems like so long ago, and he seems to have come such a long way, but it's the same campaign. It feels like he's been playing brilliantly for a couple of years now, but of course, he hasn't been. He was pulling off the odd save earlier in the season, but he was 
like every week we were talking about him doing something a bit odd. Like he'd be on the halfway <laughs> line for no real reason or or just he, he was he a bit Mr. Maybe flamboyant, which I've kind of forgot until just now. Yeah, like, that's just popped into my head. That <laughs> yeah, Tatarus only played for like, like what was it like, ten, twelve weeks or something stupid, and um, mm. and did a very solid job. Yeah, he came back a lot earlier than yeah. he was supposed to, didn't he? And he's just been ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And I think it does a, a bit of a disservice actually when you see a lot of Milan fans on on Twitter talking about their old goalkeeper. I mean. Their former goalkeeper's name was trending on Twitter in Italy today because Mignan did well. And every time Mignan makes a save, Donnarumma's name trends. And I just think, guys, we know you're still a little bit upset by that. It's okay. Just focus on Mignan because he's, he's the best goalkeeper in Italy. Like, exactly. Yeah, you're about to win the title with this new guy. <laughs> just enjoy it. Don't worry about what he's doing. Um They've just they've been so good. I was very pleased for Leo, to be honest with you, because and I did keep a very close eye on a celebration because remember last season Milan won away. I think it was against Benevento. Was it Benevento? Were Benevento in Serie A last season? I can't remember. Yeah. Them and Lecce. I always get them confused. But they won away to one of them, and Leo scored. And I remember he he went to the camera and said, "It's our time. It's our time." And it was about February. And I just thought, oh, it's oh, Rafa, I like <laughs> you a lot. But even if this season is your time, this is not the time to say that thing. And there was a similar scene today where he was walking towards the camera after scoring. And I was just thinking, Rafa, just don't say anything. Just, just don't say what you want to say and he didn't he had a, like a little bit of a smile on and he made a little love heart and then he said something but it was a message to someone rather than being a, a statement of of what Milan are and I was pleased for him because he's one of the most enjoyable players to watch in Serie A and I've been, we've been saying that for a couple of months maybe even a little bit more now but Inter they played after Milan next week they'll play before Milan which is quite an interesting it could be quite interesting psychologically if Inter win next week. But today, they had to play, well, not even catch up, just to keep up with with Milan. And they managed to do it. They beat Udinese 2-1 veto, but it wasn't convincing. They went 2-0 up, but then after that, they seemed to be just kind of coasting a little bit. And then Udinese scored... And all hell broke um, almost, all hell almost broke loose in the last few minutes of that one. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, just again one of those things that sometimes you just got to do enough to win. And seem that Inter would have thought that they did enough by half time, but then uh, Udinese in the second half of the season, um, they've shown that uh, they've actually improved a fair bit. They've still been able to get some results. There have been a few games where they actually scored quite a few goals. So um, after, you know, early in the season, I accused them of being boring and that they looked like they were going to get relegated. Um, they've not only steered the ship, but the finishing the season on a positive note. And even though they lost here, I don't think uh, the Zabretta will be too worried. However, you know, from a Nerazzurri perspective, um, it goes to show that, you know, not only do you have to play to the final whistle, but if chances fall your way, you got to really take them. There was one chance that I can remember that I thought Dzeko, with his yeah. experience and talent, you know, how did he shoot so waywardly? He should have a bit more power, a lot more accuracy when it comes to shooting. And, you know, it could have been 3-0 and game over. But, yeah, sometimes, you know, with these games... You think you're cruising, and then there's the potential that everything can just collapse. So, yeah, I think the one thing Inter will be relieved about is that they did get the three points, but they got to watch out because you never know in the next few rounds if something happens like that, that it could end up being like a 2-2 draw or worse, a 3-2 defeat. So that's why it's important to work on performances and improve on them because you might be able to get away with something in one week, but the next round, you make those same mistakes and they can prove to be costly. Yeah, too right. Do you think there's a case to be made now that 
maybe Jekko shouldn't be starting games because I was quite impressed with the the last few minutes from Alexis Sanchez, to be honest with you. And Patrick Hendrick tweeted me this on, well, obviously, he, he sent me this on Twitter, his opinion, which I think I share, that if I were Simone Inzaghi, I'd be starting Alexis alongside Lautaro for the last couple of games of the season. Wouldn't be a bad idea because Sanchez does, you know, have those qualities to turn a game around or create something out of nothing. And uh, Lautaro, I think in that in that sort of system or combination, he can operate as that out-and-out strike or that um, finisher. So I think that combination can work. Not only that, you've got Sanchez, who, despite his age, still can move around pretty quick. And then... Uh, then you've got Lautaro, who's got a lot of energy and he's a direct player. So I think if them two play off each other, there's a potential for them to sort of wreak havoc for defences or, you know, uh, tie, tie the opposition defenders into knots. So they can cause confusion. Whereas with Dzeko, he's experienced and he's still physically strong. But I think with Dzeko, his strengths are in holding up the ball and trying to lay it off to teammates. Uh, I think... Uh, Inter, with the way they play in general, I think uh, to have two quick strikers who really throw the opposition off guard, I think that could make the difference. Yeah, Jacko brought a lot to this Inter team earlier in the season. And I think more of it was to do with his his attitude and, and what he was doing in terms of holding the hands and guiding some of his teammates through games at times than what he was ever going to bring as a goal scorer. Because when he made this move, I think everybody said he's not going to replace Lukaku because he just doesn't score at that rate. And he didn't do it for Roma and Serie A for the last couple of seasons. He was better in Europe. Maybe my memory's lying to me there, but I felt like that was the case for his last couple of years at Roma. And I, I just don't know. I think maybe now we're seeing the the side of Dzeko that we all kind of thought we'd see from from the beginning of the campaign. And Lautaro seems to be finding a little bit of form towards the end of the season, which is which is good for Inter. But after that, I think Correa can't be trusted to score goals. Dzeko is a nine that doesn't score enough. He does those other things, and Alexis. I think I'd I think I'd be opting for him to be perfectly honest with you, and just going to bed every night wishing I still had Lukaku to to choose to play because that just seems like a a worse decision on all sides with each passing week. But you and you cover Inter quite closely, more closely than the rest of us do. What is the general mood around things now? Because they're going to be without a few players. Next week, Barella picked up some bruising. Gagliardini is probably going to have to play a little bit more than they'd like him to, but it's nervy. Yeah, it's nervy, and I think the overwhelming thing that appears to worry every pundit, ex-player, whatever that writes about Inter is that the like you've kind of just been talking about with the strikers that the second string of players at that club is is so much weaker right now than what they've got. And um, it means that you've got this rotation of forwards where you never, you know, you're never quite sure who it is you actually want to play. And then, you know, you sort of Galliadine today where, you know, he, he was ineffectual. He was just not as good as having anywhere near as good as having John Lolo in the team. Um, and then even, even DeMarco, people are, a lot of people sort of losing a little bit of faith in him, more so in that centre-back role that he's being made to play. Um, because, yeah. I mean, the two players ahead of him in the wingback role, he's never going to get there. Um, but, you know, obviously Bastoni is incredible, but then the drop-off to DeMarco in that position is quite a big one. And the drop-off to players like D'Ambrosio or Ranocchio and stuff is, you know, they're all very serviceable players, but, you know, if you want to win the title and do well in other competitions, you've got to have a better second string than that. Um, and that is something that's fixable but they're going into another summer where they need to make money rather than spend it. And those, those two things don't really go hand in hand. You don't sort of revolutionise the the second string of your team whilst making money. Um, Marotta is someone who could give it a better go than a lot of people, but 
it's it's a very hard job. I don't envy him. Um, and I think I think that ultimately, if they don't win the league, I think that is going to be what is blamed. It's going to be the depth. Which is strange. I mean, the champions shouldn't be lacking depth. And I know there were there were other circumstances around Inter last summer. They had to sell, but I don't know. I just don't feel comfortable with the position that Inter are in now because there's no way there's no way they should be should be second to, to this Milan team. Like and that's not a slight on Milan. It's very much a criticism of what Inter have allowed themselves to fall Absolutely. into. I, I still I still maintain that if you if you put the absolute best of this inter team playing at full pump against this Milan team doing exactly the same thing, inter are better, I think. But the problem is you don't win a league title like that. You you win you can win a cup final like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, over thirty eight games eventually that's gonna get found out and the margins can be very thin as they are. You know, it's only two points two point difference now. But you know, they they just they've not rotated as well as me and it is worth mentioning they've not had anywhere near the injury worries to to deal with that um Napoli and Milan have had at times in the season. Um so you know you wonder if, if they had had serious long term injuries to, you know, four or five starting players at once, where you know, they they could well be completely out of this title race already. Absolutely right. Speaking of Napoli, they and Juventus with Roma's draw, Bologna both confirmed their places in next season's Champions League. And Napoli were very happy about it, Vito. They put out a tweet to say, um, we're the only team to, to be in European competition in each of the last 13 seasons. We're, we're back in the Champions League. They're very happy about it. Oh, look, uh, I look at it two ways. There's uh, one way that, you know, considering where they were in the mid-2000s, it's good that they have this continuity that uh, given uh, that they had tried to work their way back up, they did that and uh, they're still you know, they're still around, they're still competing in Europe, getting into the Champions League and all that. That's uh, good for them and they're still in Europe uh, in general. So at least they're getting that experience. However, they haven't been... Um, doing that great in Europe. Uh, it doesn't look like they're going to win their second European trophy anytime soon. So it looks like Europe's just good enough if they participate in the group stage, get out of the group stage. If they go through to the knockout stages, that's fine. Otherwise, if they get knocked out after the first knockout tie, then it's no big deal. And then I saw your response, Connor, comparing it to... <laughs> Um, the time that Roma won that friendly tournament or whatever it was and Alessandro Florenzi held up that bonsai tree. So I think it's another way of saying, you know, you can celebrate these kind of participation type things or little things, but, you know, ultimately when you're near the top after a certain period of time, you actually got to be thinking about actual trophies. So uh, I think for me, in if we talk about Napoli specifically, they should... Um, you know, the real celebrations were those Coppa Italia titles in the last 10 years. Yeah. They were something to really celebrate. So, But uh, another thing to consider is this was a good chance for them to win their third Serie A title in history. And unfortunately, they showed once again that they crumbled under the pressure. Now, against Sassuolo, they won emphatically, but no pressure. But mm. when it comes to crunch time and time again, the Parteno pay, they let their fans down and uh, they still, you know, I see it more with the fans, at least online, especially in the English-speaking world, that uh, they try to look at exterior factors, but I think time and time again, it's internal. It's the mindset in the locker room. It's like there's this lack of self-belief that weighs them down and they can't win the Scudetto or put a decent run in Europe through, so... Um, yeah, you can celebrate something like this all you want, but really, um, you got to lift the standards. Within reason, of course, I mean, De Laurentiis can only spend so much, but when the opportunities are there, you got to take them and you got to go 
above what is expected. You got to surprise people sometimes. I I thought the the tweet was embarrassing to be perfectly honest with you because there's there's always a time and a place to be celebrating getting into the Champions League. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I support a team and I'm quite happy that they're not getting relegated every season. You know, finishing eighth this year and people are saying that oh look they're they're falling back down to the table. If this is where Atalanta are going to fall, them, I'll take it. Eighth place finish every year for the next five years. I'll be quite quite pleased with that but Napoli they spent 70 million euro on a striker not too long ago um they did that during a pandemic as well let's not forget when nobody was spending any money they've got arguably one of the top three center backs in the world in their team and they're losing their captain at the end of the season to go to MLS and they crumbled they absolutely crumbled in this title race, having won big games throughout the season, they showed up at big moments this season as well. But when it really got down to it, they couldn't beat Fiorentina and they blew a two goal lead against Empoli, who hadn't won for four months. And then they're celebrating getting into the top four. And I know it's a Twitter admin, so it's it's not the club, but I just feel like, come on, don't, not at Napoli. I don't think they should be celebrating that. And bear in mind, the only reason they weren't in the Champions League this season is because they bottled it on the last day of last season against the Hellas Verona team who had nothing to play for. And Juventus, who have been rubs all season, got in ahead of them. Um, I just, I know it was a Twitter admin and it's it's probably nobody at the club, nobody to do with the club at all. But I, I just, I, I didn't, it was uncomfortable for me. Um as was Atalanta's tweet when they drew 4-4 to Torino. Like, it was after Real Madrid, Man City. It was like, oh, Man City, Real Madrid. And then the Drake meme where he's like turning his head. And then Atalanta 4, Torino 4. And it's the, the Drake meme where he's impressed. I thought the timing of that wasn't great considering the Europa League is very much on the line for them. But they're Atalanta. They're not Napoli. There is quite a big difference there. Um, but... Like you said, pressure was off. 6-1 against Sassuolo. I was quite offended by that win, to be perfectly honest with you. I thought, oh, now you do it. That's nice. Ewan, your boys took another beating away in in Turin. Venezia lost 2-1. Respectable enough showing, I suppose. Um, Leonardo Bonucci getting two goals on his birthday. I'm sure we're all celebrating for the big man. Yeah, I think it's nice for him. It's about as far as I can go with that. Um... I think Venezia's, <laughs> Venezia's season is at a point where, you know, everyone knows they're gone. They know they're gone. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the getting rid of Zanetti was <clears throat> almost an admission of that, that, it, you know, it has happened now. But so then, then you start turning to little individual moments to look back on when they're in Serie B next season. I think that goal from Aramu um, at, at Juve is a very, very nice goal. And while it, in the grand scheme of things, means nothing, it's a nice yeah. moment. Oh, yeah. They all got to celebrate that goal in that stadium. I think, given you know, big picture sense, they weren't necessarily expected to come up last season. Those sorts of moments, I think you have to take them in isolation. Think, yeah, that was nice. I enjoy that. That's a nice thing to look back on and move on. <laughs> That's all they can take from this sort of season. Um, Juventus annoyed me. Shock. They they wore yellow. It's so they were at home against a team who were black, and it needs to. It's go. bad, it's isn't horrible. it? It's, it's a really ugly kit. Yeah, um, and it was all the uglier because it was up against arguably the nicest kit in Europe this season as well. But um, they wore yellow, Ewan, while their women's team played at home and wore <laughs> blue. So two Juventus first teams played at home this weekend. And neither wore the home kit, despite playing teams that they could have worn the home kit against. Um, it's probably a good mm. thing, Cavs. At least here. the blue one's nice. Like the, <laughs> it's you know, it's a I mean, nice. Not this might be strong word. It's fairly normal, but, <laughs> but like, it's a fourth it's, kit that they released in April. <laughs> At least it, you know, it looks clean. Whereas like the the one that the men were wearing is just you turn on the telly and it's like Jesus. I don't want to look at yellow and blue triangles. There's yeah. no, nobody wants to see that. There's only one team that in my head, can ever look, has ever looked good in yellow and blue, and you've, you're currently wearing it. And Juve just have not managed to 
get anywhere close to that. I think the the random shapes on it all just looks horrible. Um, and not only that, like you say, they keep wearing it in the wrong place as well. I think it's definitely a good thing that Kev's not here this weekend because you suggested that the blue kit is nice. And I know Kev doesn't feel that way. But anyway, before we get on to the rest of the Serie A games, it's only right to talk about the Coppa Italia Femminile because the final two teams are now known. The semi-final second legs were played this weekend. Roma beat Empoli 2-0 on Saturday to get a 3-0 aggregate win to move themselves into the final for the second consecutive year. And they will play Juventus, who came from behind to beat Milan 5-3. Milan were 3-1 up at one point in this game. But the aggregate score in this was 11-4, which was just a stupid scoreline to talk about. And in the second leg, I don't think Milan did all that much to to warrant losing 5-3, to be honest with you. But, Ewan, this is a Juventus team who have been the best team in Italy for the last five years, playing against a Roma side who our friend Camilla Spinelli pointed out are on the longest undefeated streak in Italy. And they've had 16 players score for them this season, which is more than any other women's team in Italy. So that final, it's set for Spal's Stadio Palomazzo on the 22nd of May, the day after the Women's Champions League finals in Turin. So that's going to be a good commute for me on a Sunday morning after a night in Turin. But um, that's going to be a belting game between what is correctly, it's correct to say, the best two teams in Italy yeah, this year. absolutely. And obviously it's the same final as last year, but last time Juve was you know, coming off. Well, of course. Roma-Milan last year. Um, Roma-Milan last year. This time Roma are definitely a better team than they were going into that final last time. I, I think you'd say they were probably they were yeah. the underdogs going into the final last year. Um, and Milan have definitely regressed and Roma have had such an incredible I say second half of the season. It is more than that really. It's more like the last two thirds. Um, they've, they've pretty much been able to do almost everything that you've been doing. And they've absolutely got it in them to win that tournament. And if they do, that's a to, I mean, it was a, it was a big enough statement when they beat Milan in the final last season. It would be an even bigger one if they win it this time because mm. it's against Juve, and we're going into a season obviously now with the professionalism etc. There's going to be even more eyes on it, um, and you know they could genuinely push Juve further. There's a hell of a lot to go on in the summer, and huge amounts of stuff can change. So this is all just based on what's happened this season. But um, yeah, you know if. If they do their summer right, and you guys, you would assume that they're going to do theirs right because they always do. Um, there could be a actual. Well, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but there could be an actual title race next season that goes further than this year's one did. I I think. I think there will be a proper one next year because these Sassuolo kids as well will all be another year older, and they are frightening when they're on it. And I don't think it's possible for them to have another season as unfortunate as this one. I mean, the third best under-21 player in the world was out for most of it. And so was Martina Tomazelli, who plays in a similar position to Hayley Wigueja. And Sofia Cantore missed the second half of the season through injury as well. So they've been extremely unfortunate. And I think they're going to be even better next year. And they've been a joy to watch. But next season's Serie A Feminile is going to be decent. Um, on that as well, keep an eye on the website because we've got a couple of things which I can't announced because they're not confirmed but they're almost confirmed so keep an eye and there's a couple of good things to come in the next few weeks before the end of the season and plenty more next season as well back to Serie A Vito Lazio beat Spezia 4-3 in a little bit of a mad game in La Spezia they're now on 59 points level with Roma and three clear of Fiorentina and four ahead of Atalanta yeah, it puts them in a very good position to qualify for the Europa League. So another important win for the Bianco Celesti. But uh, once again, yeah, another crazy game. And uh, Spezia, we're in a position to win this. But uh, yeah, it goes to show that Lazio on paper have a much stronger squad. They've got the place to turn it around. 
And after last week, Francesco Acerbi out of all people ends up being the hero. So that was amusing. It was good. Um, it was very, very good to see him get the winner. Although I've not seen any other angles of the goal, but I don't know how it wasn't offside from the angle I've seen. But um, uh, I don't trust it, but let's not talk about it because it's a mistake and they happen, don't they? But yep. Roma fans aren't too pleased. It's not like them to be on board conspiracies or anything, but the less said about that, the better. Roma themselves drew nil-nil with Bologna. Ewan, um, a bit of a, an underwhelming performance from them, but given it's between two huge Europa Conference League games, you can kind of understand that. Yeah, this performance did look like what you would expect to see after playing you know, a very very tight game against a Leicester team that, you know, are a bit weird, but it's still far, far from an easy game and they will have had to work very hard to get that draw. And obviously he, he rotated the squad a little bit and it just didn't quite pay off. It was just a bit flat. Um, it's it's one of them. If they, if they then go through against Leicester, it, it doesn't need to be read into too much at that point against Bologna, but it was far from mm. exciting. <laughs> It wasn't great. <laughs> there was a, a five-minute spell at the end, which was quite nice to watch. Both teams had chances. Muzabaro did, did quite well when, when he came on. He's always lively. But a point doesn't really do them all that much good, and it opens the door for Atalanta tomorrow as well on Monday. Um, Vito, Empoli went back to old ways. They were 1-0 up until the 78th minute against Torino, and they lost 3-1. Yeah, um, yeah, pretty amazing that last week... They managed to pull off the late comeback, and then this time it was uh, Torino that did it, and it was the uh, captain Andrea Balotti who came up with the cap- with the hat trick for the Granata. So, yeah, I suppose that with all this talk of him possibly leaving at the end of the season, uh, this is probably you know one last memory to put in the memory bank. I have to be perfectly honest with you. I had no idea until today that Etric Berisha had signed for Torino. Apparently, he's played five times this season. When did that happen? Last July. Um, I had no idea he had gone there. And as an ex-Atalanta guy, he's someone that I'd always kept a little bit of an eye on until this season, clearly. Wow, that's, that's thrown me. But anyway, what else happened this week? You and... Save me. Save me. I've got lost. My head is, is blowing up by that, by finding Barisha in Turin. I did not know that had happened at all. But at the bottom, <laughs> which which would also be, be fair enough if you hadn't watched them on a weekly basis with both Atalanta and then Spal as well. But um, Cagliari lost one. They lost 2-1 at home to Verona. And that is... A disappointment, considering Verona don't really have anything left to play for. Yeah, this this is one of the games where it's, you know it's it's not necessarily on paper a game they should win, but it will be one of the ones where going into the last seven eight games of the season they will have looked at that at home and gone, that's one we should probably target. That's one where we want to get at least a point, obviously preferably three, and they didn't. But that free kick from João Pedro, if you take it out of the context, that was. Incredible. But the, it's brilliant when you get a free kick like that that hits the top corner, but it's still rising as well. Like The, the power was absolutely ridiculous, but um, that is going to be of little comfort to those fans because they just seem to be sinking. In Serie B, we still don't know who's automatically getting promoted on the last day of the season because Lecce are on 68, Monza are on 67 and Cremonese are on 66. So any two of those three teams could come up automatically. And then we've got the playoffs as well. There's a lot of teams involved in the mix and at the bottom. Well, it's just as interesting. Crotone and Pordenone have been confirmed as getting relegated to Serie G. And then we'll have to wait and see what happens between Vicenza, Cosenza and Alessandria on head-to-head, I think, can still go down as well. 
despite them seeming safe when they finished the game at Parma. Then a goal was scored after elsewhere that threw it all back into the mix. So there's plenty to to keep an eye on in Serie B as well. That'll do for this week's pod. Um, We will be back on, I don't know, next week, to be perfectly honest with you, Sunday night, I guess, depending on... Oh, we'll have a chat, actually. Um, But we'll be back with the preview pod for patrons of 5 and 10 euro tiers on Friday. Actually, no, it's the first week of the month, so 2 euro patrons, get involved. You'll be getting the preview pod this week. So if you're not signed up to Patreon already, do so for just 2 euro a month, and you will get the preview pod. And if you like it, well, then... Stick around for five-year-old month and you'll get it every week along with other things as well. There will be stuff getting organized to go out throughout the summer as well. So don't worry, you won't be left contentless when it comes to your Italian football fix. Um, Vito, thank you very much. Enjoy your week of celebrations after the derby. (laughs) Thank you. Ewan. Well, Do you want I to say goodbye? Leave me in with something nice, slightly different. <laughs> Just chip my name out there and let me run with it. <laughs> nah, I, I told you, I told you last week. I like to just confuse you, and that's what I was going for this time, and it worked. So, patrons, listeners, we'll speak to you next week. Goodbye. <laughs> Che fa il contadino, che fa 
non la spia, che è morto di sfida, o vince la spia, chi legge la mano, chi vende amuleti, chi scrive poesia, chi tira le reti, chi mangia patate, chi beve un bicchiere, chi solo ne sale.